A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Sandy Garasino, writer, National Observer columnist. Welcome back to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. Nice to be here with you again, Jesse. How are you doing? I'm great, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking with you about gravel, a threat to your freedom and mine. (laughs) Also, spies, lies, and two Canadian guys... There is a wee little baby conspiracy theory about the two Michaels. It's just just starting to bat open its newborn eyes. And Sandy, today you and I will determine if it needs to be snuffed out of existence with force. Welcome back. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Martina Ballant, Lucas Porter, Steph Brown, Ruth Skinner, Wern Lee, Dorothy Turner, Kim Newton, and Laura. Hi, my name is Laura Johnson, and I'm a lawyer and activist in Toronto, Ontario. I listen to Canada Land because of its probing and in-depth journalism that's not beholden to the news cycle. I especially liked the common series of the police. Keep up the great work. Beginning this hour on the federal campaign trail, where heated protests have now escalated to violence. Tonight, the London Police Service confirmed they've started an investigation into the gravel-throwing incident. So, Sandy, I'm trying to follow along at home, uh, this federal election thing that's been going on, and uh, the coverage... I had an understanding of the coverage over the summer. Uh, I guess about three weeks ago, most of what I was reading, the top story seemed to be about how surprised everyone was that the polls were indicating 
that uh, Trudeau may have badly miscalculated, uh, that not only might he not get his majority, but he might actually lose the election. And that seemed pretty interesting to me as far as horse race coverage goes. That was the main story of the election then. But then the headlines changed. And this is the second week in a row that the news cycles about the election have been dominated by coverage of these angry protesters who Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has been taking a stand against to go over some of this coverage, CBC. Trudeau says he's inspired by frontline workers to carry on and he won't let the mob control his campaign. We will not let them win, said Trudeau in the CBC headline. Globe and Mail, uh, the top story when I clicked onto their webpage on Tuesday, Justin Trudeau says he won't flinch. I won't back down, quoted uh, the Toronto Star, uh, quoting Trudeau. On the ropes, Justin Trudeau finds his ferocity. That's what the star had to say. So the hook that has kept this in the news, it seems to me, is that, uh, as it was reported, rocks were thrown. People were throwing rocks. People, plural. That's how BlogTO had it, and, and, and a lot of international news had that people, plural, are throwing rocks at Trudeau. London Free Press, rocks strike Justin Trudeau as anger flares outside of London campaign stop. And Trudeau himself has likened these protesters, uh, these mobs, as they're most frequently called, to the crowd of an estimated 10,000 people that stormed the U.S. Capitol last January. That is what everything has been about in coverage. And I just, like, for the life of me, was kind of curious, like, are any of these stories able to tell me how many protesters there are? And that information is lacking from, like, like the, the best I could do was that, like, there was a Sudbury protest a couple of weeks ago where there were like an estimated 25 protesters. The rocks, it turns out, was a, a handful of gravel, which are technically rocks. It's true. But I guess... I really hope you're not going to minimize that somebody was throwing things at the Prime Minister of Canada. Well... Because are we really going to do this? Were they rocks, pebbles, gravel, sand? Only to the extent that a pebble is a mini version of a rock. <laughs> Someone is close enough to the Prime Minister of Canada to assault him and is trying to do that in an environment in which escalating rhetoric and people on social media, including, by the way, now two candidates for the People's Party of Canada, Maxime Bernier's, have now come out threatening or encouraging violence against either the prime minister or journalists. So I don't think that we should be minimizing what was going on here. January 6th, nobody took seriously on January 5th. Nobody thought on January 5th that a crowd was going to overwhelm the capital of the United States. We're seeing crowds and mobs uh, storming in Brazil. I, I just don't think that this should be minimized. I think that it has to be taken seriously. And I think it's a very serious error to go down the road of, well, how big were the projectiles that were thrown at the prime minister and did they hit him? Similar complaints were levied at Abigail Binman, reporter for Global, who asked Trudeau, well, did these this rocks, this gravel, did it hit you or did it almost hit you? And Trudeau said, does it matter? It might have or it did. Does that matter? Yeah. It I actually think it matters, matters. Yeah. 
Well, that's a relevant question, and it's a relevant answer. I mean, I think both of those are interesting. But I think the important question for journalists and for news media is, we should be trying to discover what are the important questions, not is this a worthy question, is this a relevant question, but what are the key questions we should be asking in a campaign in which there is clearly some sort of orchestrated campaign to disrupt one candidate's campaign and to threaten an attack? Because we're in the middle of a pandemic, and these mobs do appear to be related to the anti-vax mobs. I don't know what you've seen in Toronto. In Vancouver, we had them actually swarming and nearly blocking ambulances outside hospitals. So something's going on. It's being orchestrated. And I, as a citizen, uh, want to know who is doing this and why are they doing this? What is their purpose? What is their game plan? And how is the media... How are news cameras being used? Are they being weaponized? I think it's pretty clear that news cameras are being weaponized to provide free advertising for a mob. And I'd like to know more about that. I think that's a good question. Let's ask the right questions. And and I'm glad we're agreed that, you know, when it comes to Abigail Binman and other reporters who are asking questions like, okay, are these rocks or are they pebbles? Were you hit or were you not hit? That's reporters doing their jobs. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, Les Perot pointed out on Twitter, imagine telling your editor that people threw stones at the prime minister, but you never bothered to find out if he was hit. Like we have to, <laughs> yeah. we, we, we yeah. must get these facts and, and we should not be castigated for getting them. Totally fair question. But let me ask some other questions. You know, we could be talking about the graves at residential schools, which we stopped talking about. We could be talking about climate. We could be talking about the other parties, which are doing so well in the polls. But we've been talking about these mobs. I think it's worth asking, are these stories good for Trudeau or bad for them? And I think the answer to that is they've been very good for him. He looks excellent in his defiance to these mobs. I think that there is a legitimate question to say, is there a false equivalency between these crowds of, I think, 25 to 100 people and the widespread Trumpist mobs that ultimately culminated in the siege on the Capitol. Where did those mobs start? Absolutely. Slippery slope all the way. Let's, it's, let's not, be... it's not a question of a slippery slope. Look, the context is that rebel media has been um, uh, fanning these flames for years now. Rebel media, by the way, uh, was the platform used by Gavin McInnes, who founded the Proud Boys. Where are the Proud Boys today? They were actually featured in uh, a presidential debate and have played prominent roles in what's happened in the United States. Jack Posobiec, who is now named as someone in the Congressional Committee looking into January 6th as somebody whose communications they want to look at. He was Rebel Media's Washington bureau chief. There has been some kind of undetermined campaign to whip up Canadians. And right now, at the moment, Maxime Bernier and the People's Party of Canada appear to be some sort of beneficiary. But we need to know a lot more about what is going on and who is orchestrating these events and to what purpose. I would be extremely surprised if Justin Trudeau knew in advance that this was going to happen and and came up with some game plan to capitalize on it politically. But Sandy, that's not how it works. You you improvise with what with what uh, what happens, right? Like you you roll with it. But that's not really the the most important question for Canadians. I mean, we saw what happened 
how did Trumpism emerge out of the United States? Trumpism emerged because that man understood media. He mm-hmm. understood that he needed to make a daily outrage that would be covered in the media, and the media could not resist it. And this is exactly the playbook that is being used today. Why are we not talking about climate or residential schools and the mass graves? Why are we not talking about this? Because it's very simple formula. The news cameras are driving this and who's putting a show on every single day for the news cameras? This mob. And somebody is behind it. And I would like to know who that is. That's a great question, though I would add to it that the theater of this, the small group, I mean, you know, it's conceivable that at any time the leader of a country has a campaign stop during a divisive – at any time, really, there might be 25 hooligans. And in an American context, you know, the cops would just set up barricades. They wouldn't get anywhere near the candidate. It wouldn't make it onto the news. It's nice that here in Canada – But this is orchestrated and it's not occasional 25 random people. This is an organized group who every single place that – the prime minister goes and they get advance warning and they have intel and they have a whole organized thing. It's not just that there are 25 randos doing this. Absolutely. There are hundreds, maybe thousands. Well, there's hundred, uh, I think. But, you know, maybe thousands well, like, who are, across who are the country. Particip- who are per- yes, that's what I mean. There's other parts of Canada besides Toronto. I agree with you, Sandy, that um, this very small group of people has dominated the news cycle. I would also argue that this theater that they're enjoying, you know, like they're, they're outpunching the size of their group and their cause uh, by the a level of coverage they're getting. I mean, you know, there are over 800 people arrested at Ferry Creek. Uh, this is well on its way to becoming the largest act of civil disobedience in Canadian history ever. Where are the cameras there? Like, if we care so much about protesters, we've been covering these 25 to 100 protesters every day, everything they do. So the media plays a role. But I think that Trudeau is absolutely center stage in this political theater. To your question of who are they, we know who they are. They're the People's Party of Canada. That's who's organizing this. I'm I'm not at all. What is your evidence that this begins and ends with the People's Party of Canada? That's not a group that has the bandwidth and capacity to put this together. There's more than that. And I think we should know more than that. And I'd also like to just segue over to another aspect of this, Jesse, which is that two days ago, Mark Emery, who is a candidate for the People's Party of Canada, actually published a tweet, posted a tweet that called Trudeau, said Trudeau is a vile leader. He deserves a much worse fate presumably then what's happening to him, I'm thinking Mussolini. So basically, he's calling for the assassination of the prime minister. That's correct. And and Maxime Bernier himself is openly speaking about revolution. And Peter Terras, who is another People's Party candidate, also posted a tweet showing people hanging at Nuremberg. These were actually, this was not actually a hanging at Nuremberg. But anyway, suggesting that journalists should be hung at Nuremberg. So the rhetoric here is getting extremely inflammatory. And you and I know about stochastic terrorism. You and I know about the dangers of calling for this kind of thing, and especially from official candidates who, to this date, have not been suspended from Twitter, have not been suspended from Maxime Bernier's campaign. Um, And we've had virtually zero coverage of the fact that we've got candidates for parliament who are calling for political assassinations. Well, here you and I are once again in agreement that sounds like an angry argument. Uh, Yeah, just like I want to know how many protesters are there. I want to know who's organizing them. And what little I do know isn't coming from mainstream media. I know that the Canadian Anti-Hate Network reported 
that it was somebody on Chelsea Hillier's team. Chelsea Hillier is a candidate for the People's Party of Canada, and a member of Chelsea Hillier's team seemed to be a gravel thrower. And I feel like, you know, we need to know more about what role Bernier has denounced the gravel toss, uh, as have all the other party leaders. You know, Trudeau wanted to equate this to O'Toole because that serves his purposes a bit more uh, directly. But every party leader has denounced this. It does seem like there's something to look further into in terms of the People's Party of Canada. But I don't want to fall into a trap here of lending oxygen to them or to equate this. You know, we keep talking about Trumpism. People forget Trump was not a fringe party candidate. He was the Republican candidate. The People's Party but of how Canada did he become doesn't a have Republican one candidate. single – they did not win one seat. And we're talking about a party – And this is just an excuse for me to play you a clip, Sandy. This is a party that has as one of its candidates uh, a gentleman named Nicholas Pereira, who is also known on various social media platforms as Nakula Das, a semen retention expert. Let's hear a little bit from (laughs) Nakula Das. Semen retention soldiers. Now, what I teach hundreds of guys inside the semen retention army and thousands of guys that are connected to me on social media is how to become more intense and focused by retaining the semen, keeping all your best nutrients, proteins, and enzymes inside of you, using that sexual urge and that sexual I think we can probably fade down now. Uh, yeah, it, it's important to, uh, to have, uh, uh, God help me, full balls and to breathe through one's testicles, says federal candidate for the People's Party of Canada, Nicholas Pereira, uh, in his uh, work as Nakula Das, semen retention expert. These are buffoons, Sandy. But but this is exactly... I, I know that we I'm, want I'm, everything I'm, to be like, no, no, we're no, America wait. Junior. We're not America Junior in this respect. What's happening in Brazil right now? What is going... I mean, the thing is, what you have to be careful of, Jesse, I'm not worried about Maxime Bernier uh, becoming the prime minister, but we are providing advertising daily on national news networks for his movement, free advertising. I mean, this is how Trump didn't become by accident the nominee for the Republican Party. He was a joke candidate when he rode down that escalator. Nobody took him seriously, but he drew incredible media. And so what I think is really important here isn't so much, well, is Maxime Bernier a buffoon? Is he a nobody? But I think it's really important for any kind of media coverage of these spectacles, this theater that is being played out for the media every day at every campaign stop, is to break this down as to exactly what's going on. I would like to see some footage of the cameras covering the event. How many cameras are watching this? How many people are going to see these few 25 people? And why is that? And let's break that down and deconstruct how media theater works, because I think that's the real threat here is that through earned media, these people are getting incredible advertising and they do have an appeal. 
I think our listeners could be forgiven for being a bit confused right now. Like, are we saying that they should be taken more seriously or less seriously, given more attention or less attention? I'm going to suggest, like, that we've got, like, a thesis, antithesis. Here's a synthesis. They're getting too much attention and not enough coverage. Uh, there's there's not enough facts. There's not enough light. There's too much heat. Yes. The placement is too high. We're making them seem like there are more of them than they are and that they're more important than they are, but we don't know enough about them. Yeah, I think that's the key here. It's not a question of that attention is is a linear, it's on a singular scale, more or less. It's the quality of the attention and the nature of the attention. And what is news media supposed to do? It is supposed to inform, and we need to be informed. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day -day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction, and build hope. Sandy, uh, we duly note things on this show that uh, just need to be said a little bit louder. What do you have today? <laughs> I'm among the people who's pretty unhappy that we're being dragged through an election uh, right now. Uh, but to the extent that we are, and for every election, you know, I tweeted the other day that now and for the rest of my life, I'm going to vote climate. And I do think that, yes, other issues are important. They are critical. They must be covered. The pressure must be on all parties to come up with crucial policies. But we run the risk. I mean, climate's hardly been mentioned in this campaign. I'm in British Columbia. My mother collapsed from heat exhaustion during the heat dome this summer. Hundreds of British Columbians in the lower mainland of B.C., died. They were actually killed by a heat wave. We had people in New York who were drowned in their basement apartments. We have a climate emergency. And I'm going to be voting climate. That's going to be the key deciding issue for me. And I really feel like we as a nation 
And we as a people and humanity in general has to come to the fact that we are in an emergency. It doesn't feel like an emergency in the same way as the pandemic maybe doesn't feel like an emergency unless you're in an ICU ward at a major hospital. But from a policy point of view, can we please focus it's starting to feel like an emergency climate. It's starting to feel like uh, my town's on fire uh, kind of an emergency. But uh, I, I, I think you're on to something there. And I think like, you know, future generations may look back at this and say, were they talking about anything but climate at that time? Like what the hell? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Duly noted. I would like to duly note the uh, perpetual hell that the media bailout has resulted in. Uh, Not only do journalists in Canada, regardless of whether you take media bailout money or not, doesn't really matter. Now that the media bailout is a thing, that is the reflexive go-to response of anybody who doesn't like a reporter. Any uh, citizen out there who feels like the news doesn't uh, jibe with their political leanings, well, you're a Justin Journal or you're paid for by the government, so you have no credibility. And now, you know, journalists are doing that to one another. So I want to duly note that uh, David Aiken of Global News slammed the Toronto Sun, reminding everybody Global gets zero dollars in federal media bailout money while the Sun chain gets plenty. And then, you know, Brian Lilly comes back at Aiken. And of course, Aiken's not in a great position because television news in Canada gets huge amounts of money from the government in the form of uh, the licensing with CRTC with must carry licenses and, you know, protected advertising markets. So essentially, reporters are now just like Spider-Man pointing at each other, who's on the take, and the and the public is doing the same. And the victim, it's not necessarily that the coverage is biased, it's that the credibility of journalists to do their jobs independently with perceptions of independence, it's gone. And and at, at a time when we, when we need it the most and when trust in journalism is at an all-time low. Well, my take is... We're in times where we don't have any pure answers. And as I always say, even the Virgin Mary had to change shitty diapers at times. You know, it's just, you can't be pure. There's no purity. And I think that we should have all learned that in high school. But anyway, duly noted. Sandy, it's fascinating to me to see the beginnings of a conspiracy theory, to see a little little seed of a conspiracy theory planted and you watch its little conspiracy theory tendrils grow and make the rounds and actually compel me before I even identified it as such. And I had other people in our newsroom say, hey, check this out. What am I talking about here? Uh, there is a popular Twitter thread that um, has been making the rounds And basically, it is offering a counter-narrative to the coverage of the two Michaels. There's been a a lot of very, I think, emotional coverage. You know, the Globe and Mail had a front page that was, like, counting the days, a thousand days of imprisonment for the two Michaels. The CBC has been doing, you know, coverage where you see their families. And, you know, there's been sort of a plea to the hearts of Canadians uh, to think of these two guys in, in just sort of, you know, human terms from their families. These are innocent bystanders, political prisoners, essentially. And uh, it's a shame and a disgrace, and let's not forget them. Let's not forget about them, which is didn't seem wrong or off to me as I consumed that coverage. But it sort of sets up the stage for this other voice. And this other voice was um, Amy McPherson. On Twitter, identifies herself as investigative political journalist, uh, ex-CBC, ex-Huffington Post. And here's Amy McPherson with a thread that, you know, went like, couple hundred retweets popular where she 
says that there has been a pointless media blackout on the two Michaels that has resulted in widespread disinformation. Canada, she tweeted, has become a laughingstock to our global partners due to the Canadian media's suppression of facts about Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig. And then she proceeds to present what looks like a bunch of photos and news stories that have uh, been disappeared, but she has been archiving them. And they do hit you like really strong because they are very different than the photos that we're used to of Michael Spavor. Because here is a photo of Michael Spavor with Kim Jong-un. Here is a narrative of Michael Spavor as somebody who facilitated visits to North Korea by uh, Donald Trump, who who is involved in all of these kind of geopolitical machinations with this sort of this hermit, this this feared you know villainous state. And uh, here's Michael Spavor, she says, defending North Korean military drills. And the photos contrast so drastically with what we're getting from mainstream Canadian media that for a moment I thought, wow, you know, the suggestion here is maybe they have been uh, charged with espionage because they're spies. Maybe they're spies. And maybe there's a political element. For sure there is. But, you know, and I've seen people echoing the Amy McPherson thread on a part of the Internet that's kind of like um, the anti-U.S. imperialist left, that I'm not going to hate on China just because you tell me to. And people saying, you know what, I I don't feel badly about the two Michaels. You know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Maybe try not being spies. And Sandy... I found this compelling. I'm always looking for interesting counter narratives or for what the media is not covering or what they're what they're trying to kind of, uh, you know, confuse us about. And for a while, I was like, maybe Amy McPherson's onto something here with these alarming photographs that everybody else has covered up. And our editor, Jonathan Goldsby, very quickly pointed me to like three or four stories, including National Post coverage with the exact same photographs. Nobody's covered this stuff up. It's all out in the open. We know that Michael Spavor, uh, go to his Wikipedia entry. He was part of a group that was about a cultural exchange with North Korea. He explicitly was involved in trying to thaw financial and cultural relations with North Korea. And none of this, like the crucial link in that conspiracy theory chain where you get to like, and therefore he was a spy, is completely absent if you look closely at her thread. And even her one claim that he was like making apologies for North Korea's military pageantry if you click on her link, it's actually not borne out. There's nothing like that in, in the link itself. I, Sandy, do this because, like, I'm paid to do this for a living, and I was briefly uh, swayed by this. I don't know what chance people have, you know? Like, it, it, it's a lot. Like, not everybody has a Jonathan Goldsby to go <laughs> and get the receipts. Yeah. Uh, it's like, hey, I don't know what these guys were up to ultimately, but until you prove to me that someone's a spy, my default position is you're not a spy, you know? Well, and wouldn't it be nice if Michael Spavor or Michael Kovrig could actually defend themselves in court with real evidence being presented in public if they didn't have to be for a thousand days in solitary confinement, if they didn't have to be have no legal counsel of their own choosing, if they could answer any of this. I mean, I think this is there's a real issue here around even the advisability of raising this kind of issue, which, as you've pointed out, has been widely covered. I found it in Wall Street Journal, South China Morning Post and other publications. And I don't know, it seems to be like one of your best calling cards in social media is to say that we have become a laughing stock, you know, because nobody wants to be a laughing stock. So obviously, then I am now going to be on 
the side of the people who don't want to, who are the non-laughing stock people. Anyway, the the biggest issue is that China has uh, has abducted these Canadians. It is holding them. It's got somebody else that it's just escalated their sentence to a uh, sentence of death and all in retaliation for our extradition proceedings. I have a whole other perspective on that and on what the Americans could and should have been doing to get us out of this and what we could and should be doing to get us out of this. But let's not dunk on people in solitary confinement for a thousand days based on some little wisps of photographs and curious things that that actually are widely covered. Well, I think that your critique of the inhumane way that they've been treated very quickly becomes a critique of just uh, human rights abuses by the state, by China itself. And uh, that sounds right to me. <laughs> but uh, Isn't that the issue or isn't that well, like one of the key and core issues here? A lot of people don't like that issue because uh, to, to decry the, you know, 99% conviction rate or the, uh, you know, unjust justice system very quickly becomes a condemnation of uh, the Chinese state itself. And that's too close to, you know, what, what, what America wants us all to be mad about. This is political, basically. And, and for people who, who, you know, their one main cause is a defiance to, uh, you know, American propaganda, American imperialism. And, you know, like basically they start to get pretty dismissive of claims of, you know, Uyghur genocide because it's, it's too close to be compatible with what uh, American foreign policy and, and, and its and its messengers want us to believe. And, and this is how ideology gets more important than people. And, and, you know, people start to dismiss really big, serious problems. The other thing I think about this is, you know, going so all in on the um, human angle of the, of the two Michaels, I think does set the stage for here's what they don't want you to see. And then the photo of Michael with Kim Jong-un looks like it's some great revelation. Uh, Mm -hmm. You'll find those photos more readily in international coverage where they're simply laying out these two guys are complicated guys with complicated histories and here's how they became players in this big drama. And the facts are... Uh, less juiced up with uh, patriotism as as the Canadian you know version of the story has portrayed it. I think that creates a bit of a vacuum to which a conspiracy theory like this can can very easily and quickly settle in. And if you want to you know play the anti-American angle, my goodness, there is absolutely ample evidence, and I have written about this more than once in the National Observer about the real problems with the case itself and how kind of lily-livered our Canadian extradition proceedings have been. And you don't have to be a Meng Wanzhou fangirl or fanboy to see it. We've also seen other issues relating to our weak and poor extradition proceedings. We've got somebody who is now on a second uh, extradition proceeding coming from France. France doesn't even have reciprocal extradition agreement with Canada. They will not extradite French nationals to Canada. But we're now endangering a Canadian citizen for the second time on a weak charge. We have very poor legal proceedings around this. And the Americans, by the way, have not been an innocent party in this whole proceeding. So if you want to dump on them, there's ample ways to do that than taking shots at someone who's been in solitary confinement for over two years, going on three.
That is shortcuts for everybody this week. Thank you for doing this with me. We're on Twitter at Canada Land. I can be emailed at jesse at canadaland.com. I read everything that people send. And our website is canadaland.com, where people can go and subscribe to the White Saviors. Uh, I think this is our best work since Thunder Bay. Sandy, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter at Garasino, and I'm also in the pages, the screens of the National Observer. This episode is produced by Kevin Sexton with additional production by Tristan Capicione. Our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do and you want to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, please support us by hitting the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get. For just $2 a month, that is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.